Hello and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership Podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk and today I will speak with Donna Griffith. Donna is a corporate storyteller. She has worked globally for over 16 years with Fortune 500 companies, startups and investors in a wide variety of industries. Today we will talk about the meaning of storytelling and what is the connection between telling your own story and being present and mindful. So stay with us. Donna, it's a pleasure to be with you. Pleasure to be here with you too. I know that you are helping entrepreneurs, CEOs to present themselves and the message out there. So first of all, I will be really interested to hear from you experience. What is a powerful story? So the beauty of storytelling is, I mean, there's a lot of like, it's become a buzzword. I've been doing this for 16 years and, and the past few years, it's like everybody needs storytelling. Everybody does storytelling, but I think kind of like big data, very few people know what it really means. So, right. <laughs> uh, so um, storytelling is an ancient art. I mean, we're talking thousands of years. We're talking Greek tragedies and Shakespeare and Moliere and Chekhov. And if we think of the way stories are written and have been written for so many years, there's a real structure to it. Uh-huh. So plays were written in acts. They're chunked into, you know, you've got the, the problem that emerges and then, ooh, the hero comes up with their solution. And then here's the hero's plan, what happens, and then the aftermath. And that is the classic structure of a story. That's how our brain are wired to take it in. And if we can get back in touch with that, as kids, we took in stories. Families sit around holiday tables when we can meet, of course, (laughs) telling stories. And stories, the way they're structured, we remember them and it's preservation of information. The same goes for if you're telling a business story. You want people to get it, resonate with it. Stories resonate. There's a part of our brain called the insula that when someone tells us a story, it automatically goes and starts looking for references. Oh, that reminds me of the time that da da da, and it it awakens feelings in us to identify with the person telling it, and our brains actually sync up. Studies show it's like we're on the wave, same wavelength is not just a saying; it's not just lip service. So there's a great deal of influence that happens when you structure your message like a story, and when you weave stories into that. So it's mm-hmm. like story within a story within a story. So that's that's a powerful story. So, you know, it's interesting when you talked, I thought about it, the fact that the story resonated within ourselves and caused us to remember our stories. And then we don't really listen to the story, right? Because we are (laughs) in our own stories and memories. And so So there's a danger of that too. And that's when you're like, oh, so people interrupt. But at the same time, it usually, if you're, if you're fascinating enough, then it like the story will pop up and then it'll pop back down. Or somebody will pop in and say, oh, you know what? Something similar happened to me. And then a dialogue starts, which is fine. It just depends. Like in the middle of a speech, obviously, you're not going to interrupt the person. <laughs> but uh, so but you yeah. have, what I'm hearing for you, that actually it's what uh, impact the listener is what the parts in the story that resonate with him in himself that reminds yeah. him his own stories. Is exactly. And, and it brings up emotions. It brings up feelings. Mm-hmm. And it's like... 
you know, you know, when there's two guitars in the room and you strum one, Mm -hmm. the other one resonates. That's the beauty of like making music on someone else. It's like we're being played in a good sense of it. So there's like a tango between the people when there is a good story in there. It was a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. From your experience, what do you see the, the most challenging part for entrepreneurs, CEOs, leaders when they pitch their story? What is mainly missing? Over information. I mean, everywhere I've ever been, no matter what level the person, there's this fear of, are they going to get it? Are they going to understand it? Am I going to remember it? And So when we act out of fear, we actually manifest what we're trying to avoid. So what happens? We don't want to forget anything. We want them to get it. So we throw every bit of information on the slides. The slides end up looking like eye charts. Uh And then we end up standing there reading it. And then it looks like we don't know what we're talking about. So we've actually created, fear creates what we're trying to avoid. So, So it's about the dictionary definition of the word elegance is just enough. So we want elegant messages that it's just enough, leave them wanting a bit more and then be able to stop, mm-hmm. let them ask questions if they need to know more, but don't insult their intelligence by throwing everything at them. It's like the saying, go oh, less is more, right? Absolutely. Less and you will increase their curiosity and want mm-hmm. to hear more. But yes, I, I know it from my beginning of my path because we learn to convince people by showing data, by showing uh, how successful we are, showing information, and then you lose the people. Usually, you know, at the beginning, I would have come with my presentation and speak the presentation without even be, seeing the person in front of me. So, okay, what am I mean, doing? I didn't see if he likes the story, doesn't like what I'm offering. So we lose touch with each other, right? So mm-hmm. I guess that... Part of telling the story, it's also enabling space to see what the other person is and to connect the story to his story. Well, it's beyond that. It's when I build messages with people, the framework of it is the audience's question. So I take my clients on a journey of 300, sorry, 180 degrees, sit in the place of your customer, your investor, your whoever it is you're talking to. And if you were them, what are the questions you would need answered? And then that creates the framework. And then we chunk the questions together into like the four acts, the problem solution business. That, and, and we're basically answering the questions within the message. So a, it's not boring for mm-hmm. the audience. B, it's relevant for them because it's answering their questions. So they have a lot less time to pop up and object. And we're making better use of their time because we're really bringing in things that are relevant. So it's a win-win. You say that before you come to the to write the storytelling, you need to be mindful to the other person, what he's looking for, right? Yes. It would be different for different stakeholders. Uh-huh. I mean, you're going to tell your company's story def- different if you're talking to your board or if you're talking to a potential customer or you're talking to a potential partner or a potential investor. They have different needs, wants, and desires. Mm-hmm. And it's all about them. And That's- what do you see the difference between the board, between the investors? What are the investors are looking for when they come in to see a pitch of it? A- to make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's very simple. They want to so see start the storytelling by the money, the ROI? Not exactly, but it has to be there pretty quick. They have to understand that this is a massive market. They also have to understand that this is a disruptive product. There's a real need for it and people are willing to pay for it and they're going to make a lot of money on it. All mm-hmm. right. 
if we're talking to a potential customer, it's what's in it for me? How are you going to make our lives better? Our business, make more money, save more time. Board is, are you keeping your promises to us? Mm -hmm. And have you exceeded those promises? And what do you need from us to move forward? So partners, hey, how is this partnership going to benefit us? It's really at the end of the day, everybody, what's in it for them? I mean, it's the age old thing. And it's true. It's true. We're busy people. We we have busy lives. If we're in interaction with someone, we kind of want to know, okay, what's this about? How's this going to affect me? Is this good for me? So you actually, it sounds like when you pitch into an investor, you need to start with the ROI, what's in it for them, and then go to their story. So not exactly. If a company is a bit more mature, they've raised series, they're raising a series A, like an A round. I always suggest starting with what I call the brag slide. Please don't call it a brag slide, anybody listening out there. Um, But putting the most significant milestones that you've achieved in there, sales, growth, downloads, engagement, partnerships, contracts, pipeline, and let them start off saying, oh my gosh, wow, they've really done a lot. I'm listening now. You got my attention. Before they even hear the story, it's like, okay, I'm hooked. You got me. For younger companies that don't have the success yet, yes, when we tell the problem story, and I always say, you know, start off either talking about your origin story, why you created this, what was the problem you identified in the world? Was it something that happened to you or to someone you care about? And then broaden that into the general market. And this is a problem shared by many and why other solutions are not quite working. It can also be a story of something that just happened in the world. I just worked with a client that uh, worked on a medical chain of 400 hospitals all throughout the US and and the UK that was hacked by ransomware. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as, as known a case as a lot of them. But what was interesting is that the hackers were sitting there for months before. Now, this is very relevant to their story. So uh-huh. it made people sit up and listen. It made them like, oh, wow. And that way they grabbed people and then they showed how they can solve that. Mm-hmm. So if you can truly show an investor that you can solve the problem of a 400 chain hospital, which we're talking billions of dollars, it's not saying this is just a billion dollar market. It's actually showing the case of what it costs them. The need and the, the solution. As you said, it, actually, it's a structure thing to tell a story, right? You can't come and start telling your story. So can you tell us what are the main milestones in creating a great story? Yeah. And so again, it's the, it's the hero journey in a, um, like, like in, in a place. So we start off, it's all about them. It's getting them to understand the problem. Now it's either making the audience feel the pain because it could be something that affects them or Mm -hmm. having them see that another big audience could be affected by it. Or that that's the stick. The other way is the carrot. It's getting them excited about something amazing that can happen. And it's like, oh, wow, I can't wait for that. I'll take that. Just take my money. That's it. So it's starting off with the need, the opportunity, the the pain, whatever you want to call it there. So the carrot or the stick, depending on your audience, both can work, but you just want to see what's going to be more powerful. And then... Here I come to save the day, the hero, your solution. Um, so, so the opening is like the villain, and usually in a in an action film, 
the first two minutes, we'll meet either the villain or a villainous act. Somebody's kidnapped, some a building's blown up, a death threat is sent, something. So, yeah. so, so it's the villain is really driving the action in the story. Then we have the action. We have the, the hero, the hero's solution, how it works. And I really believe in showing the hero, the user journey through the hero story. So it's not enough to just show a demo. You want to really show it in a way that you shows how much you understand your target audience mm-hmm. really well. Then all the business to back it up, how you're going to make money, how you're different from your competitors, how you're going to penetrate markets, um, any other business data that's important, crucial, the team that's going to execute it. And then finally, Moving forward, the vision for the future, what happens after you get the money? What other, how else will you grow it? Other markets, other products? What's your big vision and how is this tying into it? A lot of times companies get caught up in the, yeah, but we're not doing that yet. To sell them on a much bigger vision, it's okay to say we've already achieved this much, but this is where we're heading. So you're mm-hmm. you're painting a picture of something much bigger. So you need to hold the broader picture. You know, you're talking about people that are more practical and seeing what they did till now, and this is what they're telling. But you need to connect the people to the to your why, to your yes. dream, to your passion. Yes. And then they'll yeah. go with you further. Yeah. Otherwise, it will won't stick, right? Because yeah, if it's too small, they're going to be like you know really. Nice. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know, they are looking for something else. So, in order to engage uh, the investor, the board, the clients, you need to be passionate about what you're doing. Be authentic, also, right? In telling your your own story and your why. You know, Simon Singh talking about the why. Everybody talking. Okay, why do I do what I do? Otherwise, people. Okay, it's nice the solution, but what's beyond it? As you say, connect to the broader picture. Mm-hmm. How do you see it? Is it easy for people to be authentic during this uh, presentation, or it's a challenging part in the process? Some people it comes very naturally to them. Others um, need to work a bit at authenticity. It sounds like an oxymoron, but. I think there's this expectation in our mind that we have to be on, we're performing, we're presenting, we're like, and and actually it causes the opposite. So presentation equals conversation. If you can get down to eye level and you're talking to them, just like you were talking to a friend in a coffee shop, remember those, Uh, (laughs) just having a chat about it and you can be very natural and let your natural passion shine through and your excitement. It seems very natural, but you've, we script things out. I mean, I, I create scripts for mm. talking points for each and every slide. And I tell them, don't memorize them, but just get so familiar. This is like your, your tracks of a train. Uh-huh. And if you derail, you could crash. So you want to just stay on that line. And then even if they interrupt you, ask questions, move back and forth, you're fine because you can get back on at the next station. And it, it reminds me like in the, when we were back in school, the exams that we need to remind the information, but it wasn't in, impactful. No, I, I definitely don't want people memorizing. The problem with memorizing and just rote memorization is if you forget one word, if you miss one word, it, it completely screws everything up. When I have to learn a new text or I've created a new workshop or a new speech, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll script it out. I'll put it on Google Slides. And then on my phone, I'll show speaker's notes. So I'll just take a walk mm-hmm. and I'll like talk it to myself. Oh, I forgot what's the next one. Peak, go back. So I'm not memorizing, but I'm, I'm like, I know what the message is going to be on that slide. 
So even if it's not word by word of what I've written out, I get the gist. And then it's much more natural. That's what I'm saying. Yes, because I think in the past we needed to remember information, but that is it's not impactful, right? It doesn't have a great impact. Mm-hmm. So authenticity is yes, it's being able to be present, right, in the moment with the person, see what interests them, to to have a, as you said, a dialogue, to listen really to what resonates within them, yeah. and yeah. and to change maybe what I thought I will say in the beginning, but maybe another interesting thing will will emerge and then I will react to it, right? So this is. I think this is much more impactful than reading the script and, you know, yeah, yeah, going through the words because people can see that it's not. Yeah. yeah. For and, and, and that's why when you make it personal and you make it yours um, and you find the words that are, I mean, I, I always tell my clients, it's your words elevated. Mm-hmm. I can, I have a filter in my brain that it takes their bits and bites and data and synthesizes it and brings it out, but it's their words. It's not me it's them it's making them sound the best them they can be yes it's really important that people will use their words and not uh, talk others words try to be someone else yes because people feel it right you can say the research the show that the way we impact people through communication it's it's much more than what we say how we say it right our body language the intonation so you can stick to the content, but won't be present there. So people will re- react to your being and not to what you say. So actually, I believe that the tip that you give is that if you forgot what you want to say, only listen to the question and react accordingly. Go back to the slides and say, okay, just a minute, I need to go on this path. And that's, and that's fine. And nobody's going to really know. You don't even have to say, I have to go back to the slides. You find your next moment to pick it up. But it's more than that because... It's about, yeah, like you said, being present with the other person, really talking to them, really understanding their need. Mm-hmm. So Dale Carnegie, um, many years ago, already wrote in How to Win Friends and Influence People that, that uh, you know, people love to be heard mm-hmm. and listened to. So you can be a great conversationalist just by listening. And I've also, you know, the investors or, or others want to know that they're being heard and not just being talked at. So I've had investors say, if a founder isn't there taking notes when we've asked them something or said something to them, it's a bad signal to us because it means they're not coachable. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, you could be scribbling there. It doesn't matter. At least we feel acknowledged. Uh-huh. Now that's a big thing. Like, and, and it's not typing on your computer and it's not typing on your phone. It's actually sitting there with a notebook and writing, which sounds so old school, but I, I heard it from several different partners. So amazing. Cause it, the thing that we don't think about them, okay, we're coming prepared with our presentation and what we need to say, but at the, the end of the day, the people are looking how we act and how we react in the moment and are we curious and open to listen to other ideas. So it's interesting that this is your insight that entrepreneurs need to also be mindful of the way they act during the conversation, right? So, it's, you know, it's a kind of a paradox. You come ready, but be present and maybe you won't be ready. Maybe other things will emerge and then we need to react to them. Nevertheless, you need to come prepared mm-hmm. because the better prepared you are, the more free you can be. People come to me and they're like, I'm not a good presenter. To me, I know I'm going to look at their materials and see they're not prepared. I think that 50%, if not more, of presentation skills or nerves can be solved by having a solid story that you feel great about and you're connected to. Everything else is just icing. That's and, so, and, and, so true. 
every time, every time without fail. I'm like, okay, so show me the presentation. And it's like, so first we have to work on the cake, make uh-huh. the cake delicious. And then the icing can be lovely, but it's just an icing. It's not the, the, the body of it. Yes. That's really true. As I said, I remember at the beginning of my career, I was standing with papers, reading my workshop in front of the people, you know, as you get more confidence. And me too, me too. A fake it till you make it, right? I mean, I, I would take, when I first started doing trainings, I'd take a big yellow legal pad and I would just write the main beat of, of my transitions and just with an arrow so I could just glance at it and know what my next transition was. Uh-huh. So, because I didn't want all the the language on the slides, and then you get more familiar with it. Now, you don't tell people, "Hey, this is my first time giving a, this workshop." Uh-huh. You just go right in and you do it. You know, they don't have to know it's you that's being the most critical of yourself usually, and it's like you feel so self conscious, and everybody knows it, but usually they don't. You know what I seem to think I'm thinking about in the beginning of my career. I remember that I thought that what I'm talking about, it's obvious. I didn't understand what's interesting about it. What's so passionate. I thought what I'm seeing, everybody's seeing. And you yeah. know, it was, it was, it was amazing. Cause I remember that I consulted to a company and I was with another senior consultant and then, okay, we did a diagnosis of the culture. And then we sat with the manager to show him what we found. And I remember that she, talked with him with such a passion, going with a passion. He was so excited and I was shocked. This was the moment that I said, wow, because for me, it was obvious what we found. And the fact that she was so uh, enthusiastic about it and passionate about it, he reacted to it. And then it came to me that, you know, it's interesting because I understood that what I see and my unique viewpoint, it's not obvious. I think this is also something that maybe in the beginning people don't know it, right? They think it's, okay, what's the uniqueness? What's engaging? And that's exactly what I said about the first step is thinking, doing the 180 and thinking like your audience. They don't know what you know. Mm-hmm. They don't have the knowledge And you need to kind of forget what you know and go back to the basics. I mean, I've taught my workshops a bazillion times, yet it's this, it's it's new every time because the audience is new. Uh-huh. It's not their fault that I've taught it a million times. So for me to reinvent it and make it as exciting as it was the first time and take in people's insights and interact with them, it's like I, I taught the same workshop yesterday back to back and it was two extremely different experiences so you have to come in and reinvent yourself every time i think that the ability to reinvent it actually being present in the moment and see yes. what people need from you right and to act according yeah. to this and this is it's interesting because it have different flavor and this is come back to what you said when you're really ready and you really uh, live your story and the materials that you want to bestow on others, then you can improvise, right? You can change, you can do different things, but the message will go through. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you, do you have a personal story that you experienced in your story, in your career uh, about storytelling, you know, or something that brought you to this path? Oh, yes. So... I, so I, I started off working with Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies. I got to travel all over and give workshops and work with executives one-on-one. I was, you know, it was awesome because I got to see the world while I was getting paid for it. So it was, you know, couldn't be better than that. And then came 2008 and boom, it's like all at once, everything closed off. 
it was very scary. And I was like, okay, I've never had a, a job. I've always worked for myself. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. Suddenly everyone's canceled. We'll see next quarter. We'll, you know, reassess. Um, and then I started, you know, checking, examining, seeing what I could do. And serendipity would have it that someone introduced me to a cardiothoracic surgeon who needed help with his professional speeches. He was the head of his professional guild. Um, And while working with him on his speeches, he showed me two um, medical devices that he had invented, he had come up with. And he said, can you create the investor materials for me? Now, I had never at that point, this was 2009, I had not worked on a startup pitch deck. um, But I said, you know, a story is a story. Why not? So we worked on it. He had been invited to an angel conference in uh, New York, like 87 angels. And uh, so I actually ended up presenting on his behalf. And then I saw the other companies that had been invited get torn to smithereens in the first like 42 seconds. It's just like, why would they have had this opportunity come all this way and not have prepared with someone like me? So I started doing some checking and I found there weren't a lot of someone like me's out there then storytelling for startups. So I was like, okay, that's who I'm going to be working with. And then come the voices of the, ah, oh, well, startups, they don't have money. They're not going to pay you. They don't need that. And, all this. and then, then you just thank the voices for their concern and you go on. And I started you know, marketing myself, I, I called it sponsorship as a service. <laughs> I would, I would um, prepare demo days and pitch competitions and conferences where people were presenting and I would do it pro bono, but put my logo on and mention my name. That's all I asked. Uh-huh. And little by little people, start, they were impressed by the work and they're like, who's this Donna person? And um, I, I, I built my reputation and then fast forward, March 14th, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> calls from my girls' schools were closing. Emails from clients were going to have to postpone. The, everything all at once. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is, I've, I've been here before. <laughs> this is familiar. So after the initial shock and awe of the whole thing, I was like, okay, what did I learn from 2008 that I can apply today? Took out my book from the attic, my playbook, dusted it off, went back over it. And what it really was, was finding the need. I found the need then of startups needing it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have it. I was filling a need. What are the needs today? And I was able to identify a few needs and go right into action. And I truly believe that when you take action, Mm -hmm. then you will succeed. When you are in your, you know, the the, uh, term ikigai, it's a Japanese because it's a beautiful little... um, diagram. So it's, it's your reason for being, so it's doing what you love, doing what you're good at, doing what you can get paid for and doing what the world needs. So if you can stand right in the middle of that lovely flower, you're blessed. And I, I, not a day goes by where I don't wake up and say, I'm getting paid to do what I love. I'm, I'm helping people shine. It's, it's incredible. So I'm very, very lucky in that talk. Great story. I always love the stories that the way we got to what we do. So Donna, do you have a, before we wrap up, do you have another tip to people who want to present, who want to engage the investors, the board, the clients, something that we didn't talk about, although you gave a lot of a... Really, you only get one shot. So come in at your best. Mm-hmm. Come in um, with confidence, but not arrogance. Come in um, with a smile. 
come in so, so that they see, because there's three things that investors are going to be listening for, mm-hmm. and that's credibility, likability, and momentum. Mm-hmm. How well do you know your stuff? Do your team know it? Um, how far have you gotten? And are you a mensch? <laughs> are you someone that's going to be great to work with? Because look, let's let's face it, some investment periods last longer than marriages. So if you're going to be married to the person, you want it to be someone that you enjoy hanging out with, spending time with. And when things are bad, it doesn't, you don't fall apart. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm married to my husband for nearly nine years and uh, we still make each other laugh and we still have a lot to talk about. And, 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 and that's like the kind of relationship you want to have with anybody that you're going in for the long term. That's so right. a little bit of dating advice, find someone that you love hanging out with. That's just, you, you really enjoy the time as well. That's a great tip because at the end of the day, it's all about human beings, right? Connections. So, and it's interesting again, because, you know, at the beginning of my career, I was really serious and I didn't, you know, smile a lot. And then I understood that. You really? You're yeah, so you, you believe? <laughs> I went through a transition. Yes, in the beginning I was... You know, I'm really a doer person. I was really uh, goal-oriented. Okay, let's do the work. I don't have time now to talk around. So you see, so it's interesting. I remember I had a conversation with a great uh, friend of mine told me, you know, you need to make the small talk to know the people. So a lot of people, I think also in the beginning of the career, they're really more stressed, more uh, goal-oriented, you know. So I think it's a great tip that you said to be human, to come be yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Be yourself at your best, at your best. Okay. There's going to be time. It's the, the honeymoon phase. You don't show all the, the, the less attractive sides of yourself at first you build into it. And once you've established the relationship and you're kind of in love with each other, mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> but also know how to fight, know how to have bad times, know how to remove yourself from a situation. So you don't do any damage. That's going to be long lasting. Words cannot be taken back. I agree with you. You said at the beginning, first of all, you said I come ready. I think it's really important, you know, to really be ready because when you're ready, you can also be yourself in a paradoxical way, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Attach yeah. The slides and then yeah. Yeah. they're flowing. I think of the best actors. They look like they're just giving a, a spontaneous performance, but they have prepared and rehearsed and, and polished so much. And I, I was an actress, so I, I know this. To go into something that looks like a natural performance is a lot of work, that's right. but it just looks natural. And that's what you want. You want to really put in the work. So you just arrive and you're having a conversation. That's amazing. So I think it's great tips. Be prepared, be at your best, and then be present and authentic with who you are and, and connect. Connect also yeah. on a personal level. Smile. Yeah. Yep. Make a, an environment, an atmosphere that people will enjoy being there. And then yep. they will feel also comfortable asking the question and and engaging in the conversation. Yeah, you got it. You got so, it. Thank you very much. It was really inspiring. Having me, Karen, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you feel like. <laughs> I don't know, Karen, Karen is good. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny with the pronunciation of names. It's uh, I'm always really careful. That's another little tip, um, especially in Silicon Valley. It's such a melting pot of so many people from so many different cultures. And people are very sensitive about their names mm-hmm. um, being pronounced in the right way. So I will always ask, can you tell me how your name is pronounced? And then I'll repeat it a couple times, just you know, out of respect for the name. So I think that's a very important thing. Ah, great. So 
Be humble, and if you don't know how to pronounce, ask. Just them. ask. Just ask. Instead of you know messing it up, just say, "Am I pronouncing it right?" Or can you tell me how to pronounce it? And then repeat it a few times so you can kind of like get it. So I think this is another great tip and dare to ask, even if not the name, other thing. If you don't understand, ask because people don't feel comfortable asking, and they they're presenting something fake, and people can feel the fake, and yeah. it goes away, right? So be authentic. Ask question. If you don't understand, it's better that you ask. And then yeah. people will say, okay, he's a coachable, he's humble. That's great. Yeah. We want to work yeah. with him. Yeah. You got it. Exactly. Thank Have you very much. Take care. Bye, Kiran. This was Donna Griffith. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and to follow us on our social media, in LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, etc., Till our next episode, take care and bye-bye.